Colossians 1, looking at verses 9 to 14, talking about the subject of prayer, prayer for the church. And let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You've given it to us as a guide and instruction for our life. And these words that were written long ago to another church in Colossa, in the country of Turkey, have significance for us today because they are your words. And your word is truth. And I pray, Father, that you would use your word this morning to encourage us, to teach us, to challenge us, correct us, to cause us to live more in line with what you have said. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the greatest things that we can do for another person is to pray for them consistently. And yet I would guess that prayer is an area that many of you may struggle with. And I struggle with it at times too. You know, we come and we know we should pray, but maybe we struggle with being consistent or finding the time to pray. Maybe you're just starting out and you know you want to pray, but you're not sure how to pray or what to pray. Or maybe you've tried to pray and then you felt like, well, did God really hear that or did anything really happen? And maybe you didn't feel very effective and so you got discouraged and quit. Well, I want to encourage you today in this area of prayer. Prayer is a battle. Uh, There is an enemy who doesn't want us to pray and his name is Satan. In fact, he'd rather see us do just about anything else but pray. Samuel Chadwick wrote that the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies or prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. You know, Satan isn't really concerned if people just want to be religious, you know, and just kind of go to church or be a nice person or do those kind of things. That doesn't really challenge him. But when people come together to pray, and they pray for the things that God desires to see happen in our world, that kind of prayer is powerful. And Satan trembles when God's people pray. And so it's an area that we need to continue to grow in. When we pray, God works. And God can accomplish far more than any of us can in our own strength, and we know that. And yet we still struggle to pray. And I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are at in your prayer life or in that walk of faith, I want to encourage you to take the next step and to keep on praying. In Ephesians 6.18, the Scripture says that we should pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Do you notice how many times the word all shows up in that passage? (laughs) We are to pray on all occasions, all kinds of situations and opportunities to pray. And we're to pray pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. There are different ways to pray, and we'll talk about some of that. And we are to be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So today we're going to look at Colossians 1, 9 to 14 as an example of how we can pray for the church and for one another. 
So what do we find here in Paul's example? Well, there are three things I'm going to call attention to this morning. Number one is that we are to pray often, and we see that in Paul. He writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now that says a lot about the value that Paul placed on prayer. If you think of the timeline here, this church started about eight years prior to Paul writing this letter. And so here Paul is saying, as soon as we heard about this new church that was started in Colossae and what Epaphras had told us, we have been praying for you. And roughly eight years now have passed, and Paul is continuing to affirm that. And what even makes that maybe more remarkable is the fact that Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never been to this church. He had only heard about them, and yet he had not forgotten them. And he continued to lift them up in prayer. That says a lot. I mean, have you ever prayed for someone other than your family for eight years or more? I mean, have you been consistent in praying for people that maybe you hadn't even met, but you've only heard about? It's what we've asked you to do when it comes to the Sani people in China or the people that live in Thailand that Carrie Gustafson is working among or the people in Guatemala where we have a partnership with a church there that is ministering to the Quiche. All of those areas, we are at work and we need to pray for them. And I'm encouraged and challenged by Paul's example here about praying for those that he had not yet met, but who had begun this significant work. And Paul wanted to see that advance by God's power, and so he consistently prayed for them. It challenges me to pray for students who've gone out from our church, missionaries that we've sent and supported, church plants that we've begun in Osceola, Wisconsin, and Wyoming, Minnesota, or the church that started us, Cost, in North Branch. God is calling us to pray for people that we know and are connected to on a consistent basis. When I come and I hear the stories, too, of other Christians and how they have prayed, I'm challenged by their example. As I've read in prayer, one of the uh, persons whose name keeps popping up a lot is a man named George Mueller. George Mueller ran an orphanage for children. And he prayed and he kept a journal of prayer requests and he saw God provide for them time and time again when they did not have the resources to feed their children. God provided exactly what they needed time and time again. But he also prayed for the salvation of friends of his. In fact, he prayed 52 years for five friends to come to know Christ. He wrote in his journal that in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five friends. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted, and I thanked God, and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted, 
And I thank God for the second one, and I prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three, and I went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. And he wrote, But I hope in God. I pray on, and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And in 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted, one shortly before Mueller died and one after he died. George Mueller understood what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they should pray and not give up. That's a remarkable example of prayer, isn't it? Of someone who was so committed to the salvation of friends that he knew that he kept them on his prayer list and he prayed faithfully for them year after year after year. I had a grandmother like that. She lived to be 95 years old before she passed away. And every day she prayed for all of her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And her greatest desire and her prayer was that all of them would come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And she prayed for them faithfully. And the fruit of that is evident in our family and how many have come to know Christ and grown in their relationship with Him. I thank God for people like that who have such a powerful commitment to prayer that they are unceasing in it. Many of you know the name Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary pioneer in China began a great work there that God is continuing to this day. His son, Howard Taylor, said about him after he died, he said, for 40 years the sun never rose on China that God did not find him on his knees. That's remarkable too. For 40 years to begin every day on your knees, before dawn, before the sun comes up, and to be able to be that consistent in prayer. We may not be wired like that. Some of you may be, and I praise God for that, where you are day in, day out, just so steady, and you can do that every day. Most of us probably struggle with that kind of consistency. We want to. We've had seasons of great prayer, and we've had seasons where maybe we've struggled with it. And we need to work at that kind of consistency. You know, what I've come to find in my life is prayer is a lot like physical exercise. You know, in studies, they tell us that uh, when it comes to exercise, it needs to be done regularly if we're going to stay in shape. Uh, they suggest that there's a minimum for exercise of three to four times a week for 20 minutes or 20 to 30 minutes. That's not a bad idea for prayer either, is it? If we could be consistent in prayer of three to four times a week for 20 to 30 minutes, that would probably be more than what most of us are doing today. And what I found with exercise is that, you know what? It's really good to have a partner. Prayer is like that too. It's really good when you have a partner that you are meeting with to pray about things. It may be your spouse. It may be a friend. It may be a prayer triplet where three of you are getting together consistently to pray because there's something about meeting another person that keeps you going on that. 
And there's something about hearing another person's prayers that are really encouraging and get you to pray as well. And you know what? Sometimes when it comes to exercise, you need to change it up a little bit. You can't do the same thing every day, all the time. A little variety can be good. And the same is true with prayer. There are times in my life where I've kept lists and I've recorded prayers and answers to prayer, and that has been a real encouragement. There are times when I journal. There are times when I go on prayer walks, long walks, and I'm praying for our neighborhood or I'm praying for our community or people that we know. There are times when I've used the written prayers of someone else and I've been so encouraged by what they wrote and I go, God, I wish I could pray like this. I I wish I could pray with that kind of eloquence or heart or commitment that they have. And so I learn from the prayers of others. And there's sometimes when I have to put away the list because that's become kind of routine. And I need to come and I just need to listen and be silent and say, God, what do you want to talk about today? And I focus more on the communion of a relationship with my Father than I do bringing all my things to Him. And I think that's okay. I think that's good as we have a variety in the way that we pray. The important thing is that we are doing it. That we are having that fellowship with the Father and where we are bringing before Him the things that are on our heart and asking Him to do what we cannot do. Well, secondly, Paul encourages us here to pray specifically. And we see that in his passage when we look at the kinds of things that Paul prayed for. He prayed for two things in particular in this passage. He said, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. Paul prayed that they would know God's will for their life. He said, We pray this, that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And secondly, the reason he prayed this was that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So Paul prayed that they would know God's will for their life, and secondly, he prayed that they would live that out, that they would live a life that is worthy of Christ. It's a great prayer to pray for one another, to pray for our church, to pray, God, would you help us here at Lake Street to know your will for our church? And would you pray that we would have the courage and the wisdom and the power to do that, to live that out in a way that honors Jesus Christ so that when people look at us as a church and a community, they will see people who love Jesus and want to make a difference in our world for Christ. The kind of knowledge that Paul prayed for was a deep and accurate understanding of who Jesus is, of the gospel, the way of salvation, and of how God wants us to live. He wanted them to be rooted in Christ. We're going to see that later in the letter when he talks about what that means to sink our roots deep into the foundation of God's Word. When Paul prayed that they would be filled with this knowledge, he was praying that God's wisdom would permeate everything that they do. Their thoughts, their attitudes, their actions, their plans, their desires, that they would be saturated with the knowledge of God so that it would change the way that they live. 
In Colossae, they had false teachers coming along who claimed to have this secret knowledge or special insight into the truth. And Paul writes the Colossians, and he says, you don't need that. You have everything that you need in Jesus Christ and his word. And all they needed to do was just to see it and understand it and put it into practice in their life. There are people in our world today who claim all kinds of spiritual insight and wisdom and other competing religions or ideas or philosophies. What we need most is a deep and full understanding of Christ, of who he is, and of how God wants us to live. That's the knowledge that Paul prayed for. And he prayed for this knowledge so that they would live a life that was worthy of Christ. You see, God doesn't give us wisdom or knowledge or insight just to fill our heads with information or to puff us up with pride. He gives us this kind of wisdom so that it will change the way that we live. And what does a life look like that is pleasing to God? Well, Paul in this passage uses four, there, in Greek, there are four participles that lay it out. And I'll just make this very clear what he's praying for. What does a life look like that's pleasing to God? Well, it has these four characteristics. Number one, it is a life that bears fruit. It's a life that bears fruit in every good work. It is exactly what Jesus said in John 15, 5, when he said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing here, that if we are to live a life that's pleasing to God, then there should be the evidence of that, that spills over and touches the people around us. It should be the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It should be using our gifts and ministry so that we are serving and helping and giving and teaching and leading however God has gifted us, that we're involved. And people see that in us. They see the change that Christ has made, that you are a different person today because of what God's done in your life. You know, if you owned an apple orchard, for example, and you planted those trees and you cared for them and cultivated them, you would expect there to be fruit, wouldn't you? I mean, you wouldn't plant apple trees just to look at them and say, well, they're really nice trees, those are beautiful leaves, you know? No, the intent of an orchard is that it would bear fruit. And just like the owner of an orchard expects the trees he plants to bear fruit, God expects us to bear fruit for him as a church, and as individuals. Secondly, a life that is pleasing to God is a life that is growing in the knowledge of God and His will. We never stop growing in that. We're not stagnant. We're not resting on the past. We're not just sharing stories of what God did, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and that's it. We have a present-day experience and walk with God. And we can tell the stories of what God is doing in our life now and what we're learning as we grow in our relationship with Him or how we've seen God answer prayer. And there's a freshness to our faith. That's what Paul wants. That's what he's praying for. That the church would continue to grow in its understanding of who God is. I didn't put this verse up there. I thought about it later when I was writing the passage or going over it again when I was uh, working on my message. But I think of John 14, 21. 
where Jesus says, He who has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. What Jesus is talking about there is the way to continue to grow is to take what we've learned, apply it to our life. Whoever has my commands and keeps them or obeys them, he's the one who really loves me. And do you know what happens in the life of the person who chooses to live that way? Jesus says, I will reveal more and more of myself to him. And we will come to know Christ in a deeper and more closer way. And that growth will continue all through our life. That's a tremendous blessing. Do you want to know God better? Then put into practice what you already know and live it out, and he will make more of himself known to you. Thirdly, it is a life that is constantly strengthened by his power. And we see that in verse 11. He prayed that they would be growing in the knowledge of God and that they would be being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So Paul is praying for God's power to strengthen them as they seek to live for Christ in the midst of a hostile world. He prays that we would have his power flowing through us so that we might have both endurance and patience. And it's interesting those words uh, focus on different things. Endurance is the strength to keep going through difficult circumstances and trials in our life. Life is tough. There are hard things that happen related to our work or health or family needs or times when we are struggling with different aspects of life. And so Paul prays that we would know God's power so that we'd have that kind of endurance to keep going. Patience is bearing with difficult people, even those who may push your buttons at times. And so you've got both sides covered here when he's saying, I want, I'm praying that you will have the strength to keep going through difficult circumstances or trials in your life, but I'm also praying that you'll have the patience to deal with difficult people and those challenges that you face because of it. How many need that? We all need that, don't we? Both of those things. And then fourth, a life that pleases God is a life that continually gives thanks to God. It is a life of a person who recognizes how much we have been blessed by God and gives him thanks. You see, one of the marks of a true believer is gratitude. And that gratitude embraces all of life. It embraces both the good and the bad. It embraces the joyful and the painful. It embraces the holy and the not so holy. But it sees God in everything. It sees God even in the trials that are intended to help shape us and mold us and build our faith. And it sees God in the blessings of a new day or a sunrise or the friendships we have or the opportunities that that day holds. And we come to it with gratitude in our heart. Helen Keller, who became blind and deaf at a very early age, wrote in her autobiography, For three things I thanked God every day of my life. I thanked Him that He had given me the knowledge of His works. She had come to know Christ. Secondly, I give God deep thanks that He has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. 
And thirdly, I give him deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to, a life joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song. She claimed that so much had been given to her that she had no time to think about what she had been denied. A life of gratitude. A life that could look at the trials and the difficulties of even blindness and being deaf and say, I have hope. And I am so grateful for what God has done in my heart. So I want to ask you this morning to look at a couple things here. What are the kinds of things that we pray for? And what are the kinds of things that Paul prayed for? You know, for most of us, the kind of things that we pray for are things like health needs for ourselves or people we know. We pray for travel mercies when we're traveling. We pray for things like a job if we're unemployed or we pray for our daily needs. And all of those are fine and good to pray for. But what I'm challenged by Paul's prayers is the depth of them. Paul prayed for the heart prayed for our understanding of who God is, prayed for knowledge and wisdom spiritually. He prayed that we would be obedient to Christ and live that out, that our life would glorify God and be a reflection of the work that Jesus has done in us. He prayed for those kinds of bigger things that were of greater significance to God. And it challenges me in my prayer to go deeper and to pray for the things that really are on God's heart as well. This is a great prayer for the church. To pray that we would know God's will and that we would live in a way that is worthy of Jesus Christ. You see, thirdly here, Paul encourages us to pray confidently. To pray confidently, and we see the reasons why in verses 12 to 14. It is because of all that God has already done for us in Christ. I mean, look at those verses. He wants us to joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He has qualified us, all of us who know Christ as our Savior and Lord, to be part of the family of God, and one day we will share in the inheritance that he has set aside for us in heaven and in the kingdom to come. We're in. I mean, if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you already have made it. And because of Christ, it is not just a future hope that we inherit, but it makes a difference today. It makes a difference today in our homes, in our marriage, in our family, in our relationship, in our work. I mean, think about the difference that there is in a home that truly uh, that family knows Christ and honors Him. There is a peace in that home. There's a joy in that home. There's a, a connection that you feel with family members who really love one another and are living that out. And there are times when people, friends who don't know the Lord may come and they sense that and they go, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but there's something different here. And when people have been converted out of homes where there's been great dysfunction and there have been that kind of um, fighting or in-house bickering or things because they did not know the Lord, and then they come to know Christ and there is that great change, 
you can see it on people's faces. You can see the joy and the light of Christ that comes and the peace that comes to a person's heart when they know Him. There's a benefit today. It's not just future. And He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What that is talking about is how God has brought us literally from one country to another country. The word that's used there described how kings in that day would sometimes, if they conquered a territory, they would transplant people from one uh, area that they had lived in, move them to another country, and they would now become citizens of that new country. That's what's happened to us. We have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of God's Son. And we are now citizens of a new kingdom. And He has redeemed us He has bought us from this slave market of sin and He has redeemed us to belong to Him and He did that at the cost of His own life. He shed His own blood that we could be redeemed. And He has forgiven us all of our sins. Not just some, but all because of the payment that He made on our behalf. So why can we pray with confidence? because of all that God has already done for us. Romans 8.32 says it like this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he's already given us the very best gift he could give, the most costly thing he could give, his own son, how will he not also with him then give us everything else that we need. And in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, God promises this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. We can have confidence in prayer when we pray according to His will. And I don't know of a better way to pray with confidence than to pray using the Scriptures. And this particular passage and others are ones that Gail and I have used for many years to pray for one another. We've used it to pray for our children. And Paul encourages us also to use this as a prayer for the church. In the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that really helped to spark a revival known as the Great Awakening. That sermon was sinners in the hands of an angry God. I've read it. Maybe you have too. Uh, It is a powerful sermon. But it is also kind of unusual that one message would spark something so great as that awakening in that time in history. And the other thing that makes it kind of remarkable is that Edwards himself did not have a commanding voice. He didn't have an impressive pulpit manner. He used very few gestures, and he read from a manuscript. I write manuscripts too. I mean, that's my style of preaching as well. That was Edwards' style of preaching. He wanted to be very careful in what he said. And so here he is, this man who's not really that impressive. His voice wasn't that commanding. His pulpit manner wasn't impressive. But God used what he said in a powerful way 
And few know the story behind that message. For three days, Edwards had not eaten a mouthful of food. For three days, he had fasted and prayed. And for three days, he had very little sleep. As day and night, he was on his knees praying. And over and over again, he was heard to pray, O Lord, give me New England. O Lord, give me New England. And he prayed for the salvation of people, not only in his community, but all over New England, that God would do a great work once again. And so when he arose from his knees and he made his way to the pulpit that Sunday, even before he began to speak, it looked like he had been gazing into the face of God. And even before he gave the message, great conviction fell upon the audience because God was there and God was at work touching the hearts of people. There is power in prayer because when we pray, God works. We invite him into the circumstances of our lives. We invite him into our relationships. We ask him to do what only he can do. And when we do that according to his will, God is pleased to answer. And so would you join me in praying for our church and for one another these kinds of things that Paul encouraged us to pray for? Would you pray that we would grow in our knowledge of his will and would you pray that we would have that obedience to live it out, that that knowledge would change our life, that we as a church would grow in his grace and sense his hand upon us? And then wherever you are in your commitment to prayer at this point, would you take the next step, whatever that is, would you make a personal commitment that you are going to pray more consistently? Maybe you're going to need to pick a time or set a time when you are going to pray and you're going to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start today. I'm going to make a habit of prayer and here's what I'd like to do, Lord, by your grace. Or maybe it is to pray more specifically or maybe it's to change the kinds of things that you are praying for. Or maybe it's to pray more confidently. Praying according to God's word. Whatever it is, would you make a commitment to take one action step today in one of those areas in your life of prayer? Let's pray. As we go to prayer this morning, I want to pray this passage of scripture for our church as an example even of how to pray. Father, I thank you for everything that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And because of the work that you have done on our behalf of rescuing us from the dominion of darkness, of redeeming us from the slave market of sin, of forgiving us all of our sins, you have called us to come before your throne of grace and pray. And so, Father, we pray for our church and for one another that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would grow more and more aware of what it is you want to do in our life. I pray, Father, that we would live a life that's worthy of you, that others would see Jesus in us, that we would live in a way that pleases you, that we would be bearing fruit in every good work, that we'd be growing in our knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened with all power, with you our power so that we might have great endurance and patience, able to withstand the trials of this life 
and to grow in grace. And Father, may we be a grateful people who joyfully give thanks to you, our Father, for all that you have done for us, for the blessings that you have given to us in Christ, for the friendships we have in our church and community, for the answers to prayer that we have seen. Father, thank you that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your beloved Son. Father, I pray that you would use these days that we have here on earth to be a blessing to others, to encourage them, and to point others to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We ask it all for your glory. Amen. Would you stand as we close? Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as we follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.